Well, good morning again, Rivertown Community Church. So good to have all of you with us on all of our campuses because today what we're talking about, I really believe has the potential to just like be one of the most clarifying and defining moments in many of our lives today. In fact, for others of you, what we're gonna talk about today, it really does help you help someone else experience what we believe will be one of the most clarifying, defining moments in their lives as well. Because here's why this is so important. Our worldview, it absolutely determines our relationship with God, and most of us don't think, it that, think about it that way, but our worldview, it really does determine our relationship with God, and our worldview is determined by what we think about God and, and our understanding of God. So let me just kind of help you understand how our worldview determines um, how we see things. So for example, I was reminded about three or four weeks ago of this old story of two salesmen who traveled to a village to sell shoes. And uh, they both soon realized that nobody in the village wore any shoes. And so the first salesman, he calls back to the headquarters and says, listen, this is like a hopeless situation. Nobody here wears shoes. The second salesperson calls back to the headquarters and says, listen, this is like the most amazing opportunity you've ever given us because nobody here wears shoes. See, our, our worldview It determines what we see about a situation, whether that's a problem or an obstacle or whether it's an opportunity to us. See, it's why two people can look at the same situation and come up with two completely different conclusions. You know, I've discovered that's not just true about human beings, but the same is true with cats and dogs. Some of you already know where this is going, but I'm just gonna tell you. See, dogs, they, they look at their owners and they say, This is what dogs say. Dogs say, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. That's what dogs say. Cats, on the other hand, that's why I hate cats. Cats, on the other hand, they look at their owners and they say this. They go, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, I must be God. (laughs) And that's how it works. And he's like... Now, now here's, why, here's why this is so important for us today. We're like seven days away from Easter Sunday, which, which is like the celebration. Understand this. This is like the celebration of the most significant event in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And like many of you, I believe that the Easter story is like the most important, most amazing message that the world has ever heard or could ever hear. Because what the message of the Easter story does is it reveals this incredible truth about God's desire for relationship with man. A message that communicates from God to man this truth, that everyone is invited, everyone is welcome, and everyone is equally loved by God. Don't miss that. That everyone is equally loved by God. Now here is the problem with that. While studies show that about 90% of us say that we believe there's a God, very few of that 90% see God as inviting, see God as welcoming, and very few people believe that everyone is equally loved by God. Now, now there's many reasons why people struggle with that. Why, why believing that God loves all of us equally or, or why we view the message of Jesus with skepticism. And, and I don't want to oversimplify it this morning, but, but here's several reasons why people just struggle with understanding that God absolutely loves them. And here's the first one. Many people think that God is disgusted or disappointed with them. 
See, because they believe that God is disappointed with me because if there is a God, he must know my secrets and, and I know my secrets, right? And since I am disappointed with myself, God must really be disappointed with me. It's why so many people only come to church about once or twice a year because, I mean, you think about it. If God is disgusted or if God is disappointed in me, why, why would I want to hang out with God? But you know, that's not the only thing that causes people to question whether God really loves them or not, to view the message of the gospel with skepticism. And I think this second one is far worse on people emotionally than maybe even the disgusted or disappointed, and that is this. So not only people believe that maybe God is disgusted or disappointed, and so they struggle with understanding God's love, but also many people, many of us, we believe that God is out to punish us, that, that God wants to punish us for our sins. That, that's why oftentimes whenever you invite a person to church, they'll, they'll, they'll say something like this. Well, if I showed up in church, man, the roof would cave in. You know, or like when bad things happen in life, some kind of tragedy happens in a person's life, oftentimes people will say, well, I guess God is punishing me for what I did in my past. Because, see, we believe that God is out to punish us too many times. I don't want you to miss the truth about this. You might want to write this down. We aren't punished for our sins. We are punished by our sins. Don't, don't miss this. We aren't punished for our sins. We are punished by our sins. It's why Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, he, he wrote this in Proverbs chapter 13. He says, the way of the transgressor is very hard because we aren't punished for our sins we're punished by our sins. It's why the Apostle Paul, some several thousand years after Solomon wrote that, he, he wrote in Romans chapter one, and he said this, he said, listen, the reality is this, once we go out and we sin, we reap to ourselves the recompense of our own reward, our own doing. So the reality is we aren't punished for our sins, we are punished by our sins. For example, let's say if you have like this secret addiction. Maybe, maybe you walked in to one of our campuses today and, and you have this secret addiction and, 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 and you go, okay, God wants to punish me for this and maybe if I go to church, you know, that kind of thing. Let, let me help you understand something. God is not up in heaven trying to punish you for your addiction. Your addiction doesn't need God's help to punish you. Your addiction can already dish out plenty of punishment on you without God's help. So here's the question. What if, instead of seeing God as punisher, instead we really see God for who he is, rescuer, a savior? See, too many times this is what represents to us the wrath of God. And, and we, we've heard all these sermons on like the wrath of God. L listen, God doesn't want to pour out his wrath on you. In fact, the crucified Christ is what the wrath of God looks like. That's where the wrath of God was placed. Not your perception of God as your punisher. 
So, so here's the bigger question then. So, so what if one of the greatest lies that you ever believed about God was this, that the, the better a person you are, the more God loves you? Because many of us have believed that, that the better a person I am, well, the, the more God loves me. What if God just loves you, period? You know, what if just God loves everyone, period? I mean, what if you embrace the truth that God loves you no matter what? And God loves you equally with everyone else. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you embrace that truth, that God loves you, period, in the sentence, it helps us understand in an amazing way, and it also helps us understand the amazing opportunity that we have as a church to help other people understand this incredible, life-changing truth. And one of the ways that we can help them do that or discover this amazing, life-changing truth is, is inviting them, as you already heard on your campus, to join us on like an Easter Sunday. Because see, our hope, our, in fact, our whole mission as a church is that people in our community will see Jesus for who he is. The, the great redeeming savior who in his words, he did not come for those who were well or those who had it all together, which is really none of us, but he came for the sick, those of us who needed a rescuer, those of us who needed a savior. And as I said, our mission as a church is for people to clearly understand the message of Jesus, to know him as their rescuer, their savior, instead of picturing him as their punisher who is disappointed in them. And I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, over the next seven days, I mean, it is like one of the best opportunities that we have as a church to do this. It's why inviting people during this next week is so important. See, we want people to know that the message of Easter is for everyone. That God is not angry at them. That God is not disgusted at them. That God is not disappointed in them. And God does not want to pour out his wrath on them and punish them. He poured out his wrath on his son. And God is for them. Now, to help us understand that God loves every one of us equally, and to give us the passion and the courage to make sure that other people are hearing this amazing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story this morning from the life of Jesus that happened about a week before he goes to the cross. So if you got your Bibles you want to follow along, I'd, I'd invite you to go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. But before we go there, I want to set up some context. Now, in order to help you understand what Jesus is feeling during this moment is like. Let, let me just kind of give you some context because I'm going to tell you something. This moment that we're going to look at in the life of Jesus is probably one of the most intense, defining moments that Jesus encounters or experiences while he's here on earth. Now, to help you understand what Jesus is possibly working through, the feelings, the tensions, the emotions... I want you to imagine a scene with me. Here, here's the scene. There's a young doctor who has a wife and uh, three small children. And, and this doctor, he volunteers to take a dangerous six-month 
mission assignment to a place where there's like this epidemic of a rare disease and there's a real big deal of hostility toward um, outsiders, people who are outside of the, that community or that country. And so this young doctor, he takes this assignment because nobody else with his special training is willing to go. And, and so the months pass slowly, as you can imagine. And, and the kids, they, they really miss their dad. And the wife, um, man, she, she does like an amazing job of holding things together, trying to be mom and dad at the same time. And then slowly, slowly, the day of dad's return approaches. And finally, the day's here. The whole family. I mean, they're just like so full of excitement. I mean, mom has like butterflies in her stomach and she's so excited. And, and the kids, as you imagine, they're racing around the house going, daddy's coming home, daddy's coming home. And you know, they're waiting and they're waiting and they know he should be there sometime in the afternoon. And, and sure enough, about three o'clock in the afternoon, a, a taxi pulls in the driveway and, and the kids, they just charge out the front door and they're followed by mom and her heart is beating so because she's so excited. She thinks it's just going to pound out of her chest. And, and, and here's dad. I mean, it's like, man, he steps out of the cab and he's much thinner than when he left. And he has this beard that's concealing his hollow cheeks. But he has a big smile across his very weary face. And the dad, he kneels down on the grass as his kids come running up to him. And, and he is smothered with like six clinging arms and legs. And I mean, these kids are shouting, dad's home, dad's home. They're so excited. They're just hugging and after each child gets their special hug and kiss, um, he's finally able to pull himself away from his kid and then he and his wife embrace. And of course, you know, she's like, welcome home. Thank you, man. I'm so glad to have you home. He's like, I'm so glad to be here. Now, I want, I want you to zoom in a little bit deeper, a little closer. Don't, don't just see the big celebration. I want you to zoom in a little bit closer and I want you to look directly into this young doctor's eyes. I want you to picture his eyes because there is a specific message in his eyes. See, what you see in his eyes is, he, is something that he knows that his family doesn't know. See, he caught the disease that he went to heal and he knows he has one week to live. And if you can see that, and if you can feel that tension in that young doctor's eyes, if you can experience the emotion of coming home, having this grand celebration, this welcoming party, but knowing he only has one more week to live. If you can picture that feeling, that emotion, the tension of that moment that this dad must be feeling, then you'll understand something of the emotion and the tension that Jesus feels in this story that we're about to look at in John chapter 12. Because see, Jesus knows that 
he's about to ride in or enter into Jerusalem, there's going to be a huge party. But he also knows he only has one week to live. See, the Sunday before Easter is celebrated throughout the Christian world as some of you have heard it called this before, Palm Sunday. It's a Sunday in which we remember the day about 2,000 years ago when Jesus made what is called the triumphant entry into Jerusalem like during, it really sets up his last week before his death here on earth. And the picture from the Bible of Palm Sunday is one of like this enthusiastic crowd of people that just line the streets and they're throwing flowers and they're spreading out their coats on the road and, and they're making this carpet to welcome Jesus and, and following the traditional method of welcoming royalty and, and kings. I mean, they cut palm branches and they're, they're waving them in the air. But Jesus knows that's today. And in one week, everything is going to drastically change. Because see, this same crowd that is celebrating him today, within a few days, they're going to exchange words of praise for words of death. In fact, Jesus knows in, in one week, the scene is going to be so different on the streets of Jerusalem. Which means there's so much that we can learn about the heart of God, that we can learn about Jesus' love for us from this passage that surrounds his entry into Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, the week before the crowd turned on him. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to go with me now to John chapter 12, as we talked about, and we're going to begin in verse 12 to help us begin to experience the Jesus that we wish everyone New. Notice what happens here. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, and this festival is referring to the Passover feast. So it says, the next day, the great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So as we recognize Palm Sunday, that this day recognizes this moment, this Palm Sunday, it's the day that Jesus makes his move toward Jerusalem. Now, you need to understand something about this move toward Jerusalem. This move toward Jerusalem, it happens after Jesus has quit moving openly among the Jewish people. See, if you go back to John chapter 11, toward the end of the chapter, you'll see that it says, John tells us that Jesus had quit moving openly among the Jewish people because the chief priests and the Pharisees, they've given a command that if you see Jesus around Jerusalem, you need to report it. Because the scribes and Pharisees, they wanted to seize Jesus in order to kill him. And Jesus knows that. And so he's no longer moving openly uh, among the people in Jerusalem. And so Jesus has kind of been on the outskirts doing his ministry, you could say kind of what, undercover. So Jesus now is making his way to Jerusalem very intentionally. And Jesus knows in the back of his mind he not only knows that he's making his way to Jerusalem, but he knows that he is intentionally making his way to the cross. So, so don't miss what is happening here with Jesus intentionally riding into Jerusalem. Make sure you understand this. Jesus didn't just go to the cross for you. Make sure you understand what's happening here. Jesus went through the cross to get to you. See, Jesus made his way through the cross 
to make his way to you. Don't miss that. You may want to write it down. Jesus made his way through the cross to make his way to you. That's how much Jesus loves you. He intentionally chose to go through the cross so he could have a relationship with you. That's how much Jesus loves you, and that's how much Jesus loves everyone around you. And Jesus knows that, just like the young doctor who's coming home and knows he only has like a week to live. Jesus knows, me going to Jerusalem, I'm fixing to go through the cross. But notice what's happening, the celebration that's happening around as Jesus is feeling all of that that he's about to experience in a week. Notice what happens around him. They, referring to the crowd, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So again, don't miss what's happening here. Palm branches, that they were actually like the symbol of a Jew, the Jewish state, similar to like our flag or, or the bald eagle. So palm branches, what they did is they symbolized two things in this time period. They, they were instruments of worship and like different Jewish holidays. And then waving prom branches was like a symbol of military triumph or a sign of like royal entry. So these Jewish people, they're recognizing Jesus as their king. In their mind, he, he's the one who's going to bring them deliverance and victory. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So not only did Jesus make his way through the cross to get to you, to have a relationship with you, he rode into Jerusalem. Key thing was he rode in on a donkey. Now, you got to understand something. In this time period, a donkey was a sign of peace and humility. Not a sign of a pompous, pride-filled king that was going to overthrow some government. So, so this scene of Jesus riding on a donkey is this imagery of kind of like a humble king. Now, don't miss this. Here's why that's so important. See, not only is God not disgusted or disappointed in you, make sure, he's, make sure you understand this. He intentionally made his way to you in humility, not with pride and not with judgment. He, he made his way in humility to you to rescue you. See, too many times, um, many of us, we think something like this about God. We think, well, God tolerates the current version of me. But God would sure like a cleaned up version of me. And I just want to tell you something. If you think like that, what that would mean is this, is that Jesus would have had to wait to go to the cross after we got our act together, after we got ourselves all cleaned up. But Jesus went ahead and made his way to the cross. He humbled himself and he took the first step. He went first. Which means, and, and you might want to write this down, Jesus loves the current version of you, not a future cleaned up version of you. Make sure you get that. 
Jesus, the Jesus we want you to know and the Jesus we want everybody in our community to know, Jesus loves the current version of you, not a future cleaned up version of you. And I'm telling you folks, when you get that in your heart, not just in your head, it messes you up in a good way because it changes your view of how God views you. You don't do life every day thinking God is disgusted or disappointed or wants to punish me. If you understand, no, God loves me because God made his way through the cross to have a relationship with me. That's how much God loves me. Now, now while that's an important message for you, this message is, is so much bigger than you. It's, it's so much bigger than me. See, what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has done for me by going through the cross, going through the cross to get to you, he's done that for everyone. See, Jesus intentionally rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on what we call Palm Sunday for everyone, for everyone to understand that Jesus loves the current version of them, not a future cleaned up version of them. Which means, if we've experienced that love of Jesus Christ in our life, we need to extend the opportunity for others to understand this amazing message of God's love for them. And that's why we want to invite all of you to join us during these next seven days and invite as many people as we can because I'm telling you folks, the message of Easter that God is for everyone, it's so important for everyone in our community to hear. And we really believe that our churches can be the tipping point of people understanding this message in our communities. In fact, one of the primary reasons, as I said, our, our mission is so that we can share this exact message with people. And this week, you have an extraordinary opportunity to invite people to come with you next Sunday and experience this life-changing truth. And I'm gonna go and tell you, there are some Sundays that are just easier to invite people to than others. And next Sunday is definitely one of those Sundays. So we encourage this week to be bold and invite, to bring at least one person to church with you. Think about it, think about it this way. Here, here's why this is so important when you stop and think about it. Aren't you glad someone invited you? Now, now some of you you, you, you might feel a little afraid to invite someone. I mean, don't, don't be awkward like you saw in the video earlier, you know, that kind of thing. But you, you might kind of like be afraid to invite someone, but you don't need to be. You know why you don't need to be afraid to invite someone? Because see, many of you, you started coming to RCC because someone invited you. And if you're part of our church and someone invited you, you're, you're not mad at that person for inviting you, are you? No, no, instead what you are, you are grateful that someone invited you. See, here's kind of the point that we're making this morning, and that is this. At every major intersection in your life, think about this. At every major intersection in your life, there has been an invitation of some kind. In fact, you, you could actually tell your story through the lens or the filter of all of your invitations. I mean, because here's the thing, if you really stop and think about it, invitations are life-changing kind of things. An invitation can change everything about your life. I and mean, again, as, as you think through your life, 
Think back over your life for just a moment. See, at some point along the way in your life, there was an invitation that you accepted. There was an invitation that you rejected. And looking back, it was a pivotal point in your life. And, and in many cases, it was a defining moment for your life. For some of you, it's, it's why you're married to the person you are and you're glad. For others of you, it's why you're married to the person you are. And we won't finish that statement, right? <laughs> and think about it. See, see, I mean, think about it. For some of you, there was an invitation onto a team. For some of you, there was an invitation into a relationship and you accepted or rejected. For some of you, it was an invitation into a job and you accepted or rejected. See, most of us, please hear my heart on this, most of us don't realize how powerful and life-changing an invitation is. And even though I don't know everything about every single one of you, here's what I do know about every single one of you. You have the opportunity to change the direction of someone's entire life. You have that opportunity. See, you have the power to change the direction of someone's life through a single or through a series of invitations. In fact, let me say this again because this is so important. You have the opportunity to change the direction of someone's life through a single or through a series of invitations. And this next week, I'm telling you, it's like one of your best opportunities to invite someone to church. In fact, the people around you during the season, they almost expect you to invite them to church. Now, if you want to know who might be open to an invitation from you, because some of you are going, yeah, I just don't want to be awkward like those guys in that video earlier. How do I know if somebody might be open to an invitation? Well, here's what you do. Here's what you do. If you want to know if somebody's open to an invitation, you listen out for what is called the three little knots. Okay, let me give them to you. You want to write these down. Here are the three little knots. They're not in church. They're not, things are not going well, and they're not prepared for whatever's going on in their life. So let's just kind of talk and break them down. So first of all, we're not in church. So you, you're in a conversation with someone and they say something, well, we're not in church right now or we just moved here and we're not in church or we don't go to church. Or They might even say, well, we're not really like, like church people. That's a great opportunity. Or the, the second one is, Things are not going well, like things at home aren't going well, or things with my son or my daughter aren't going well, or things at work aren't going well, or, or my wife or my husband, you know, they just got this call from the doctor. I mean, things just aren't going well. And, and the third one is just not prepared for. Like we had our first child and man, it looked so cute in the magazines, you know? That's just... Not how it works in real life, right? You know, we just had our first child or I just got this new job or I just started this like this new semester at school or, or we're moving a new phase of being empty nesters. We're trying to figure all that out or, or we're just putting, you know, the big traumatic thing for a lot of parents is we're just putting our first kid in first grade, <laughs> you know? And we're just not prepared. See, anytime you have a conversation that has gone deep enough for you to hear one of these three knots, whether it's someone you know or whether it's a stranger, you, you just say something like this. Go, well, I kind of know how that feels. I, I've been there where I was not prepared or things were not going well or i not in church. I, I kind of know how that feels. And you, you know, my help, 
you should just come to my church this Sunday. And that is especially true as you go through this week. See, see, make sure you understand that as you go through this week, you, you don't have to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? While, while that is always better, if you're able to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? I mean, if they're a stranger, that may not be appropriate, or, or it may be, you know, I, I don't know. But even if it's not with you, or hey, I'll meet you there, I mean, you should still say, if you hear one of these three knots, listen, if a person opens up this level, even if they're a stranger, you just need to say, well, you, you should come to my church this Sunday. In fact, just, just to kind of help us all know how to say this and make sure we can say this, this is kind of our application for this week. So we all know what to say this week when we invite someone to come to church with us. So when you hear someone saying, I'm not in church or, you know, it's not going well or I'm not prepared for, your response should be this week, everybody on all of our campuses, Wakala, Chipley, Blountstown, Mariana, just say it with me, you should come to my church this Sunday. Okay, I don't think y'all got that. All right, let's try it again. Let's try it again. So whenever someone you know, gives one of the three knots, not in church, not going well, not prepared for, you should just say, you should come to my church this Sunday. Okay, I think we got it, all right? All campuses, give yourselves a hand. You got it. That's right. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Now, here's the thing. You don't just need to do that for this Sunday. I mean, you, you need to do this for every day or every time or every week of the year. Because it doesn't matter who's preaching it. It doesn't matter what series in. You just invite them. Because see, here's what we believe. We believe that the Holy Spirit will speak in their hearts and their lives what they need to hear. And we design every service all, every week of the year with your guest in mind. And for those of you that give generously and those of you that serve regularly to help create the awesome environments each week on all of our campuses, I just want to say thank you so much because see, you make it possible for us to create excellent enough, excellent enough environments for people to feel comfortable to invite them, their friends, their family members, See, you, you help us create environments that are helpful to life, environments that are fun and encouraging and engaging. And so those of you that give, it's because you do this. And, and those of you that serve, I mean, like you're the ones who truly make the amazing environments that we feel comfortable to welcome people to. In fact, I, I had a, st a staff member that's recently come on our staff uh, some time ago, and they, they were like, hey, thank you. This is like the first year at Easter that I'm part of a church that I feel comfortable inviting people to. Isn't that pretty incredible? You know, but I'm, that's, you, you make that happen. If you give and you serve around this place, you're, you're making that happen. So thank you for helping us create those kind of environments. So our challenge to you this week is that you invite some people to come to your church. And, and this is the best week of the year to do that. Now, as, as you've already been told, I mean, you've been given like Easter invite cards and you, each, week, each week of this, series, uh, this season, we've been giving you four cards and we encourage you to use th these throughout the year. But these Easter cards, I mean, if you need more of them, you can get them off the information wall at your campus or you, you can see a guest service member to do that. Another thing you can do to invite is, I mean, you can point people to our website, to Facebook, I mean, for times and locations of, of where services are gonna be held. But here's the thing, don't totally rely on something like a card or, or social media. Be bold. C call somebody up. Catch up over lunch and, and personally invite them to your church with you. So if you hear someone share like one of these three knots, 
Whether you know them or whether they're a stranger, invite them to church with you. And here is why. Because we, we believe as a church that what Jesus has done for us, he has done for everyone. We believe it is a big deal that they hear that. And we really believe as a church that if we truly love people with Jesus' kind of love, we should do everything we can to extend the opportunity for other people to hear the message that God is not disgusted or disappointed or wanting to punish them, but God loves them, period. It's why we're asking you to lock arms with us this week and just get out into our communities because we want you to invite people because we want the people in our communities to know that Jesus loves the current version of you, not a future cleaned up version of you. See, that's why Jesus went through the cross to get to you and to get to everyone around you. And there's no better time for people to hear that than around Easter. So Easter is for everyone. And you never know what hangs in the balance of an invitation. So we all have an opportunity to change the direction of someone's life, of their children's life, maybe even their grandchildren's life. And can you imagine how grateful someone will be to you if you invite them and they accept and their life is changed forever? Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity. I thank you, first of all, that we can know without a shadow of a doubt that you love us, period, in the sentence. No, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, you love us equally with everyone else. And you're not disgusted and you're not disappointed and you're not out to punish us. But you went through the cross in order to have a relationship with us. And I pray that as we own that in our heart, it'll give us the courage, it'll give us the boldness, it'll give us the love, it'll give us the compassion to do everything that we can to make sure everyone else understands that same message. So help us to spend this week inviting. Because God, we never know what hangs in the balance of an invitation. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks for this incredible opportunity. And all God's people said, amen.